Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Amen. Well, uh, we are continuing uh, over these next few weeks to uh, talk about a kingdom above all kingdoms, and uh, I invited, weeks ago, I invited Colton to share, and uh, because we felt like maybe to talk about this and how the kingdom works from, uh, you know, a more mature perspective, <laughs> and then, you know, maybe from a younger perspective. Sure, I didn't want to sure. say older, so I, th- no, I thought maybe mature was okay. <laughs> So, uh, and we're thinking today about a kingdom of unending compassion, and my hope and prayer is that somehow in this conversation today, uh, maybe when it's all over, you have a whole different perspective on the story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, It's a much rawer story. It's a much more uh, confrontational story. Mm. Uh, We've kind of turned it into a sweet story, but when Jesus told it, it was told with an intent to really strike at the heart of a callousness about our fellow human beings. Mm, absolutely. And, and I'm hoping as we kind of dig into that, you know, that we can uncover some of that rawness today as we think about it. So, uh, you know, anytime that we put a sermon together, this is the way it works. Uh, somebody has to kind of, you know, sit down and write some of the guts, and then we sort of work together on a few. So uh, I, I wrote the guts of this one, and then next week Colton wrote the guts. And so yes. uh, you'll kind of notice that you know, who talks more, although I try to always talk more. Always. <laughs> so. so listen to this. I, I don't know if you know that, but one of the great nuances of American history is that we think this country is really old. Hmm. Um, we talk about it. We trade in it. Uh, uh, you know, we just think the country is old. But in the great perspective and timeline uh, of history, this country that we live in is relatively new. And so I want you for a moment to think about that. And I want you to realize that on the scene of human history, uh, this thing called the United States of America is, is very uh, brand new, still a baby. Hmm. And uh, in that, then, I want you to realize that uh, way back there in the, you know, mid-17th century, 18th century, uh, all of the sophisticated societies of the world, particularly of Europe, uh, with the discovery of this new continent, they all began to think, what could we do? How could we fix society? How could we take all the things that are messed up about the culture and the government and the world that we live in and make it better? Here's a whole country, and we could go make it up. We could go figure it out. And I'm not sure we fully appreciate that, that this country we live in and the government that operates over us is a distillation of thousands and thousands of years of how society could possibly work. Hmm. And so when, the, when this continent was discovered, sociologists and, and, and people of faith and scientists and uh, just this inevitable group of people, politicians, they all thought, here's our chance. We can just go create a utopian world, a utopian society that operates and everybody will be happy and everybody will be taken care of. And so that was a lot of the vision. In fact, if you go back and you look at American history, you, you would find out that hundreds, if not thousands, of utopian societies were settled here with somebody with one theory or another deciding how to 
come here and create this space that would be ideal. I think sometimes when we think about, you know, inhabiting another planet, we get those same emotions. You know, what, what could we do with this place where there is nothing? If we just put it all in place, given everything we've learned, if we took all of that stuff, and so all of those utopian societies that came together as a part of the development uh, of this country, you know, it really begins to be important. I don't know, you probably have heard some of these names, uh, but maybe you didn't know they came from there. Uh, the Shakers were a utopian society that settled. The Rapites, uh, the Oneidas, Brook Farm, Harmony, New Harmony. There literally are hundreds and hundreds of them. Sad to say, um, very few of them survived very long. And so I just want us to be reflecting on the fact that this place we live in is sort of a distillation of a lot of wisdom that has given us the kind of government and the kind of community in which we live. And it's imperfect, but if you had a blank slate and you tried to build the perfect society, it turns out it's not as easy hmm. as we think. Yeah. And so the question then that I would ask this morning is that why is it so complicated to care? Why is it that it is so hard to put together a society that works right? that functions right, that, that, that where people just care about each other and love each other and they do that in the right way with the right balance. And there's, you know, we, 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 we're able to balance out the issue of responsibility and compassion. And, and, and so as you think about that, I want you to just kind of bring it down lower. Why is it hard in your own family? Hmm. Why is it hard in your own friendships? How hard is it to figure out the balance between compassion and tough love, between mm. discipline and, and enforcement and the rules and forgiveness and grace. How hard is it really? And even this morning as you think about we head into this, you know, election cycle that, uh, you know, just imagine in a few days this is going to uh, be past us for a little while longer, yeah. we hope, we pray. <laughs> um, but, but, but imagine why it's so hard for us. Mm. Not just as individuals, but as communities, as, as people who believe in things, as people of faith. Why is it so hard to think about and to share that? So uh, I'm going to have Colton read to you the story of the Good Samaritan because Jesus is talking about kingdom building and, and what caring is all about and mm. some of the obstacles. So share with us from Luke 10, Colton. Luke 10, 25, and then we'll go here. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road when he saw the man. He passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. 
Which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Yeah. Great words. I, I think we've sanitized the story. So let me just give you some background and then we'll jump into some application. But uh, Jericho lies 1,300 feet below sea level. In fact, Jericho is very near the lowest spot on earth, which is the Dead Sea, which is just a few miles to the south uh, and the east of Jericho. And so imagine now 1,300 feet below sea level. Jerusalem is 2,300 feet above sea level, so it's a, it is on a mountain. Uh, and so 3,600 feet separate Jericho uh, from Jerusalem. Jericho is about, uh, it's about 20 miles to the east of Jerusalem. And so when you get, do the math here, you know, in 20 miles, the elevation rises 3,600 feet. In this case, it drops 3,600 feet. They're going from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, for modern-day transportation, that doesn't matter very much. Uh, but in ancient times, when you were on foot, uh, to uh, adjust to that, uh, what they did was they built a lot of switchbacks and a lot of meandering kind of hmm. pathways. So it wasn't like a straight shot from Jericho to Jerusalem. The, the road was very much uh, a meandering, you know, there were lots of obstacles and lots of places to hide. Also, and we're going to talk about this in a few weeks, Jericho was a place of great, great wealth. In fact, we're going to talk about Zacchaeus as the chief tax collector of this city, Jericho. Uh, and that, that has deep, deep meaning. Uh, suffice it right now to say that Jericho was a very wealthy place. Hmm. And so the exchange between Jerusalem, sort of a center of commerce, and Jericho, which was right on the Jordan River, it was a trade point, taxation going out and in. It meant that people that traveled this road usually had money. And so uh, hmm. immediately that this story is being told, everyone would go, yeah, you don't ever travel that road in those conditions by yourself. Hmm. Most of the people hearing this would have immediately said, well, that guy was not smart. That guy was not doing what he ought to be doing, and he has no one to blame but himself for wow. what's happened. Wow. Because everybody knows you don't do that. And so uh, the very first thing is this reality of what's going on. Uh, and, and, and who knows? Maybe you know it's a matter of pride. Maybe it's a lack of judgment or lack of wisdom or maturity. But for some reason, this man who found himself traveling alone on this road uh, didn't make a good choice. Hmm. And then along comes a priest. And, and, and so the priest passes by. And, and so then people would immediately connect with the reality that the priest, if he went to check on the person and, and found that the person was dead, then he would be ceremonially unclean. So let me explain why that matters. The priests, there were so many priests and so few jobs in the temple that they generally were assigned their job by lot. So it means they drew they drew straws. It was more complicated than that. But they drew in order to decide what job they got. And so a priest might only get a certain job once in his life. Maybe only for one week would he be allowed to do this one job. And he might never have the opportunity again. And so for the priest, it's a big deal. It's a big deal because he's missing out on an opportunity uh, really possibly once in a lifetime. And so he's trying to be very careful because he wants to, it takes seven days to be purified once you're unclean. And so he, he could miss an entire opportunity. And so he passes by and the crowd would have identified and go, oh yeah. I mean, he's kind of, you know, he's trying to measure it. He's figuring it out. He's weighing out his options. 
And then along comes a Levite. Now, Levites were a part of the priestly clan, but they didn't serve in a priestly role. They served in an administrative role in the temple. So they worked at the temple, but they were on the business side of things. So the Levite would do basically the same job week after week after week. He had a different issue. And he understood this. He understood that along this road, it would not be uncommon for robbers to take one of their own and dress him up as if he had been beaten and lay him on the side of the road and wait for someone to come by Mm -hmm. and help. And while they were helping, they became vulnerable to being robbed. And so the Levi's thinking about the fact that I'm smarter than that. I am, you know, a systematic. I'm an accountant. I'm a a structured person. I'm an administrator. Mm -hmm. And I think ahead of the game. And I know that I have heard and I've seen the statistics on how often. And I'm not going over there because I don't think this person. And I'm protecting myself Mm -hmm. from falling among that. And so I'm actually, you know, fearful. And I'm not going to do that. And he goes on. And then along comes a Samaritan. Now, there are two ways in which this word is used in the Bible. One refers to the group of people who lived in, you know, in Samaria, actual people that we would call Samaritans. Uh, But there is another reference, and it's frequently used, and that means not a person who is by birth a Samaritan, but a person who is by belief a Samaritan. And what that meant was you're a heretic. You have no real structure of belief at all. You're heretical. You just don't really believe in much of anything. Uh, we, we get a reference in John 8, 48, if you've never noticed. The Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? They don't think Jesus came from Samaria. They know he was born in Nazareth. They know he's a prophet from Nazareth. That's well documented. What they're saying is, we think you're a heretic and we think you're demon-possessed. This is the kind of Samaritan that Jesus is referencing. And we know this because... We see later in the story that he has good relationship with the innkeeper. He's able to have credit with the innkeeper. A Samaritan from Samaria would not have had credit at a Jewish inn. Hmm. But a Samaritan who's heretical would have had a relationship of business, even though he was heretical. And so now we have this whole situation where this Samaritan, who doesn't have any faith or any real motivation of religion to help, is just helping because he has a sense of compassion. Now, I just want you to get the rawness of the story. And I want you to feel what the people would have been feeling as they heard this story unfold. And so now Jesus asked, who was a neighbor to the man who fell among thieves? And when the, when the Pharisee says, it was the one who showed him mercy, then you go and do likewise. And that's the upshot of the whole story is, you know, caring is complex, it's complicated. But here's how you're supposed to act and behave. Take care of this person. Take care of this one. So, Colton, as yeah. I've read this and studied it, I, I, mm-hmm. I came up with four things that I think are important for us to talk about and to share. And what I hope is, as we think about it, it's something that matters to us older folks who've been around a while and are sort of set in our attitudes and our spirits. And it matters to younger folks who are, you know, kind of coming up in the process sure. and being raised in a, in a culture that's very divisive and, Absolutely. and filled with hate. And yeah. so the first one is this. Blame limits our compassion. Uh, it seems to me that if we can find somebody to blame, hmm. if it's their own fault, um, if, if we have an excuse for, 
you know, they're not disciplined enough. I think older people, they're not disciplined enough. Uh, you know, I got spanked when I was growing up. I don't know why. You know, people have unrealistic expectations. They have a sense of entitlement. Hmm. Uh, you know, they shouldn't have done that. They shouldn't have thought that. This person in the story is not worthy of compassion. They are to blame. They right. should have known better than mm-hmm. to get themselves into that situation. And I'm shocked a little bit at how often we use blame yeah. as an excuse for not showing. If, if it's your fault and we think it's your fault, then we don't need to show compassion. Yeah, I think we absolutely do that. And then one thing, Dave, with blaming, I think young people and, and really all people to some you know, level, we blame time. Yeah. Right? We choose convenience over compassion. So you have Gen Z and millennials who are the king of technology, right? Fast computers, great download speeds, the 5G phones are coming out. Um, and so we just want this convenient go, go, go fast. And so when we are in situations of, to show compassion, it's like, well, you know, we don't say it out loud, right? But in our head, it's like, man, I don't really have time for that. Yeah. I don't have time for that. It's just, it's going gonna, it's gonna to make me, you know, it, it's going to mess me up. It's going to mess up my schedule. And like the priest and the Levite, right, they choose what's convenient. Yeah. And the Samaritan chooses compassion, and it takes time to bandage the guy up and throw him on the donkey and take him to the inn and all that stuff. So I think for younger people, and, and we just blame time, right? And we yeah. can't do that. We have to choose compassion over convenience. Yeah, and I think you that's know? huge. I think the reality that for me to understand someone and to have compassion on them, I have to slow way down. Hmm. I mean, to even... And that's what blame is, isn't it? It's a shortcut. Yeah. It, it's a convenience for me because I can, I can write people, I can categorize them so quickly that mm-hmm. I don't have to get messy into their issues. Right. So, I mean, I think that's, a, that's an issue with racism. It's an issue with, with politics. It's an issue with social issues. You know, uh, if I don't have to slow down and figure it out and listen, if I can just jump into my preconceived ideas and my prejudices, that's, that's a convenience. Mm-hmm. And it does limit my ability to feel. I, yeah, I would guess, I, I think we could do an inventory. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think people right now, you could say, I'm going to make a list of the people for whom I feel no compassion. Mm. <laughs> you know, these are people that got nobody to blame for themselves. Right. You know, uh, and then I think we could say, why? Why do I feel that way? What happened? And I wonder how much blame would be, well, I blame them for not being better educated. I blame them for not understanding. I blame them for not seeing, you know, this yeah. bigger picture or whatever And we just assume their stories, right? Yeah. We assume we know everything about their stories. Yeah. Just yeah. like the priest and the Levite did. It's like, ah, well, this guy shouldn't have been going on yeah. that road, you shouldn't know? Have been doing it. He should have known better. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Good. All right. Point number two. Ceremony over charity limits our compassion. So, you know, this would have been a really controversial thing for Jesus to say. Yeah. So a priest comes along and, and he decides that his ceremony, his process of, of religion is more important than this person. Mm-hmm. And so, and I, I think this is so rampant in our culture, that the idea that I am here to save humanity, but I don't really care too much about humans. Hmm. You know, I, I want to help all humankind, but I'm not that into humans. Yeah. And I think somehow, you know, what is happening to the priest is he's decided the virtue is not worth his time. He has a value philosophically. I believe in helping and I believe in loving and I give intellectual assent to that. And I think, I think the church is really in danger of this. I think yeah. Christians are really in danger of 
valuing compassion, but then we, we start to stand on some ceremony, mm -hmm. some, you know, the good of humankind, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push this because I believe it's best overall. And, you know, the priest believed that his participation in the temple was helping more people than his participating with the Good Samaritan. Right. And I can logic that out. That makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. But Jesus is telling this story to say, no, take care of the one. Absolutely. Don't, don't philosophically help everyone. Help someone. Yeah. So I, I think older people, you know, I think as an older person, this is a constant battle, hmm. you know. That, that I've lived long enough that I think I understand what's best for people. Even down to, you know, I think I can advise my children in the, in the ways that they ought to do things. But I have to stop and go, this is a, number one, it's not my world that they're growing up in. Hmm. And number two, uh, they don't really need me to tell them. They need me to care about them while they figure it out. Yeah, well. And that's very wow. different. Well, yeah. Dave, I always tell my students, you know, Christianity can't just be in your head. You know, it's in, in this situation, it's the priest and the Levite, all these ceremonies, this religion in their head, but then they miss the opportunity to show compassion, right? Yeah. And so when I think of younger people, I think of like how, how woke we are, how hip we are, how in the know we are, right? And, and those things are good when we're talking about social justice and all those things. We need to be aware. Yeah. Absolutely. But tweets about compassion will never actually change anyone, right? No, that's right. Like tw tweets, posts, they, you know, their awareness, absolutely. But day in and day out, living a life of compassion, now that's going to change some things. Yeah. You know, and that's what I want to push younger people to do, right? Yeah. Don't just be loud about it, man, but walk the walk. Yeah. yeah. Don't just let it be in your head, but live it out with yeah. your hands. We were talking a few weeks you know? ago. We said, you know, it's great to be woke, but, but it, with Jesus, it's a yoke. Yeah. You know, it's not just about getting an understanding. You've got to get in the yoke. Mm -hmm. You've got to do the work. And I think anytime our faith, in fact, it's going to get worse I mean, the, the story is going to digress from here into this conversation about religion right. versus compassion. So and let's push yep, it a little yep, further. Yep, yep. Number three, fear and self-protection limits our compassion. And I think that's the Levite. I, I really think for most of us, just fear, just genuine being afraid of the world and the people in it, like the Levite, I'm just, I'm just trying to be wise and protect myself from danger. Mm -hmm. I think so much of our passion and so much of our anger is driven by fear. I'm just afraid. Yeah. And I think it's okay to say that out loud. Hmm. You know, I'm afraid. I'm afraid going into this week. I'm afraid of who might get elected. I'm afraid of what that means. I'm afraid of how we might react. I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid of that. And, and, and when I get afraid, I do not treat individuals well. Mm. Right. My fear becomes some reason why, you know. Uh, yeah, we want that security, right? Yeah. 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 And, and things are going crazy. Mm -hmm. I mean, politics, COVID. Oh, it is. It is. You man. know, you, the generation you're working with, oh, listen, yeah. it's crazy. It is. It is. I mean, we don't get it. Older folks, we don't get it. We, we're watching and going, hey, you know, why are you doing that? Why, you're just why? going, what's going on? Yeah, what does that mean? <laughs> How can you think like that? Yeah. But, I mean, I don't know that that's not, that's much different than our parents and grandparents, they looked hmm. at us and thought we were, I mean, you know, they our haircuts and our clothes. And I mean, you yeah. look back at the 60s and 70s and we're all going, our haircuts, our clothes, what were we thinking? I mean, we were, <laughs> we were just insane. Yeah. But I think the fear of that, we're trying somehow to get a hold of something we can, we can hang on to. And Jesus is yeah. saying, I get it. He's telling this story to say, here's a Levite. And in some ways, you could cheer his wisdom. Hmm. 
but he missed the boat. Yeah. He missed what life was about. He missed what the gospel was about. Hmm. He missed what the core command to love God and love your, love your neighbor as yourself was about. Yeah. So, staggering. We have to, and, and Dave, you said this, is the fear that holds us back, right? Yeah. So the first step is noticing that fear and then pushing past it, right? Yeah. Because so, we want and crave security, but a life of a Jesus follower, and, and it's not necessarily one or the other, right? But we're going to be in some uncomfortable situations, right? Sure. To be stretched, to become more like Jesus, it's going to cause some discomfort, yeah. and we have to welcome those situations, right? Yeah. And the Samaritan man, he welcomed it. Yeah. And, and I think of middle schoolers, high schoolers, college students, and, and people in their careers and stuff. We want security. We want to go nine to five. We want to keep our head down, talk to people we know and agree with and stuff. But clearly, that's not what Jesus calls us to, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I call yeah, I mean, we, I grew up with this flee theology, flee the world, hmm. you know, run away from right. it. And I was taught that, you know, don't hang out with the wrong people, don't da 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 and yet you got Jesus, he's always hanging out with the wrong people. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's always hanging out with the wrong right. people. Continuously. So that the Pharisees are like, this guy can't, there's no way he could be a prophet because, look, he eats with sinners and, you know. Right. And, and it seems to me that the church is called to be in the messy middle. Mm. You know, we're not supposed to surround ourselves with people who think, act, you know, respond to the world just like we do. We're supposed to surround ourselves with people who have need. We're supposed to be bridging the gap so that the Holy Spirit has space. You know, let your light shine in such a way that they see your good deeds and give praise to your Father in heaven. We're supposed to be bridging a gap, you know, and, and people are seeing things in our lives that indicate to them there's a reason to look up. Hmm. You know, there's, right. there's value in it. Yeah. And who needs the light except people who are in the dark? Uh, Absolutely. And, and I, don't, I, mean, I don't think we're supposed to batten down the hedges and build a compound and, you know, get no, away from no, the world. No. And, you know, I, when I was in seminary, uh, across the street from the seminary, there was a, 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 a convent of cloistered nuns. Okay. <laughs> and so it was, a, it was a, uh, a convent of perpetual prayer. And so these nuns prayed 24-7. Wow. I mean, and wow. there were only like... You know, over time, their numbers had declined, and so now there, were, there weren't, you know, there were only like 10 or 12 or 15 of them now. And they lived in, the convent was built so that you could go into the front part, and the, everywhere there was a parallel hallway. So if there's a hallway in the front part for administrators, there's a parallel hallway on the other side for, for the sisters, because they never had contact with the outside world. Wow. You know, they were little pass-through places where food and groceries were handed through. And, wow. You know, but they lived this cloistered life of prayer. Now, I'll tell you, it, it kind of felt good knowing they were over there praying. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> but I think it, as the broader scope of the church, sometimes I think we adopt a mentality. We're not really doing the perpetual prayer thing, you know, and mm-hmm. sheltering for that reason, but we're sheltering because we're afraid, hmm. you know, and we're yeah. hiding because we're afraid. So, yeah. so I think, again, I, ho- I hope in some ways I'm ruining the story for you. I hope we yeah. are, because it's not a sweet story. No. It's a confrontational story. You can't stand... You know, you can't blame people and therefore not show them compassion. Right. And you can't stand on your religious ceremony and not show them compassion. Right. You can't love humanity and not love the individual. You can't love humanity and not connect with that person who needs your care. Yeah. You know, and you can't let fear drive it. Yeah. So number four, last point, could less religion unlock more compassion? Hmm. Now, I want to make question, a distinction man. between religion and a relationship with Jesus right you know religion and faith 
But here you have Jesus telling a story about clearly a priest who's very religious and a Levite who's very religious and a heretical person who has no systematic faith. And this person with no systematic faith is free to love this person because he doesn't have these ceremonial restraints. And he's free to love because he doesn't have these fearful processes. And so somehow in him, this, I mean, what, a, what an indictment this is for Jesus to tell this story mm-hmm. in that he chooses a person who has no, none of that religion in his background, and yet that's the person that shows compassion. And I wonder if sometimes because of our faith, we find our faith as a reason. I think James is talking about it in chapter 1, verse 26. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. Hmm. And their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So I think James is trying to say, you know, if you, if you think you're super religious but you're being mean and you're not showing compassion and you're using words that are destructive, even if you think you're standing up for what's right, even if you think that you are teaching somebody something, listen, let no unedifying words come out of your mouth except what is suitable for the building up of others. And I, and I think that matters a lot. So I think this idea of, you know, can we get back in touch with this underlying deep sense of compassion for people yeah. and not use religion as an excuse to mistreat somebody? Yeah, the, the one thing I think of, Dave, is just if there is any part of your religion, your theology, you know, our, our traditions that keeps us from showing compassion on people, we have to remove it. Yeah. Like the, it has no part. Yeah. And the priest and the Levite, you know, they chose this religious tradition and practice over you know, actually rubber meeting the road, helping this guy, yeah. you know? And for us, I think we have to remove anything that keeps us from embracing people because a life following Jesus always takes us to people, Yeah. right? It'll always take us to people. So if anything holds us back from that, we have to remove it because yeah. we've missed the mark, yeah. if that's the case, you know? Yeah. Well, and, and I'm going to push a little further here because I think this is, a, this is a big deal. Um, there's a lot of sociologists that are saying that liberalism is the new religion, hmm. That, that in our modern culture, liberalism is taking the place of what evangelical, and evangelicalism was. So, you know, evangelicalism had evangelists, it had people, you know, out beating the bushes in the streets, you know, and the message generally was, you know, you must see it our way or you're, you know, you're lost. Hmm. And so now we have a, a political system that says, if you don't see it our way, you're a, you're a deplorable, or you, right. are, you are worthless, or you are... Stupid, I, you're... Yeah. yeah, and so it's kind of like old-time religion turned upside down. You know, now in our culture, this, this being woke, this, you know, this thing has become this space in which if you don't see what I see and know what I know and think like I think, there's something wrong with you. Hmm. You know, you're lost. You don't get it. And I think here we are talking about, you know, Jesus is saying... Once you get into a philosophy, whether it's a belief in, you know, a conservative fundamentalist kind of faith or whether it's a political perspective, once you get into a dogma that says this is it, yeah. you know, how I see it, you know, and what Jesus came, you know, he came to people who were a part of this Judeo-Christian tradition and said, hey, you know, love people and let, let the Holy Spirit be the agent of change. 
pull people into space. Don't push them out of space. Yeah. Faith is not standing up for what the Bible teaches. It's not about pushing people out of space. It's about bringing them in. Mm. I believe this. This is what I think matters. This is how I do that. But I believe in you too. And I love you too. Right. And we may have a different perspective, but I need you to end this circle so the Holy Spirit can, and, and if, you know, truth, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The Holy Spirit convicts of truth, not me. Hmm. You know, I'm not going to convince. I'm not, I can't convince my own children to buy into my perspective. Yeah. And neither can you. But what I can do is love my kids. Yeah. And I can let the Holy Spirit do his work. And that's takes a long time for all of that to manifest itself. Mm -hmm. So we have to remember that on Tuesday, right? Yeah, on Tuesday <laughs> and through the week and in our attitudes. Exactly. And in, and in our fears. Yeah. Know, we can't let, we belong to a kingdom that is above all kingdoms. What happens this week is not going to define the kingdom of God. Yeah. You know, we know from the biblical story that, you know, if, if Babylon comes to power, God's going to use that. If mm -hmm. Persia comes to power, God's going to use it. If the Assyrians come to power, he's going to use yeah. that. If Rome comes to power, he's going to use that. God in all things will work for the good yeah. of those that love him and are called. And so I think that's what yeah. we're in the in, in the church, Dave, we have work to do regardless, right? Absolutely. No matter what happens on Tuesday, we need to continue to be the church, man. Yeah. We need to let our light shine in such a way Absolutely. that they see our good deeds, literal stuff, work happening, and they have a reason to look up. They give praise yeah. to our Father in heaven. All right. Well, a couple questions. We're going to wrap up with communion, so I hope you have your elements ready. Um, what keeps you from building this kingdom on earth? This kingdom of unlimited kindness and unending compassion, what keeps you from building that kingdom? In your own home, in your own family, in your own heart, in your own mind, what keeps us from showing compassion to others? What would you say keeps you? What's the thing that most keeps you from showing compassion to someone that has a name and a face, not just humankind, but someone that has a real face? Yeah. What keeps it from happening in your own home and in your own family? Why do you think the church lacks an image of compassion to the greater world? Mm. As much good as the church, the capital C church, is doing around the world, it still suffers from an image of a lack of compassion. Yeah. And why is that? And what could you and I possibly do about that? Uh, we're going to close with communion. And I think what an appropriate thing for this week. Uh, just a confession that says, God, you're really in control and we're not. And so I'm going to invite you to gather together your elements and uh, and we're going to transition let's say a prayer together God we give you thanks and we're grateful for your word it's powerful and it's convicting and it challenges us at levels that uh, push us and so this morning as we are awaiting uh, a week that's a big deal and has generated tons of fear and worry and stress. Would you remind us that we belong to a kingdom that is above all kingdoms and that in this kingdom there is unending compassion. And we recognize first and foremost that that's not really how we're made. That's not how we're wired. That in fact it will only be the Holy Spirit at work in us that could allow us to share compassion, to feel real compassion for others. And so what we're asking is 
First of all, as we confess our sins to you, maybe it is, maybe we're a blame person and we're always looking for someone to blame. That's a big deal. Seems like in our culture, blaming people and looking for the first cause is, it's a prerequisite to doing anything good. If we don't know who to blame, we don't know what to do next. you forgive us when we use blame as an excuse for not showing compassion maybe we have begun to stand on ceremony that our practice of religion and our love for humanity has become an excuse for not caring about humans that we would rather practice our religion than love an individual difficult story we almost immediately feel compassion towards the priest would you forgive us when we have a tendency to talk about loving humanity but we have a hard time loving humans we confess our fear we really do feel a lot of fear we feel afraid about the future and afraid about leaders and politics and there's so much at stake we don't ever want our fears to become an excuse for failing to show compassion to people that need our mercy The neighbor to the man who fell among thieves was the one who showed him mercy. And we are to love you with all of our heart and we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're to show mercy. And God forbid that our dogma about what we believe would somehow ever, ever, ever allow us to fail to show compassion. Would you help each one of us to be those people that recognize that the core of our faith in you is to love others? And as we partake of these elements, would you allow them to nourish that truth in us? We can't do it for ourselves. And we're asking you then to do that work. We dedicate the elements around this city for all of those who are listening and watching, for some who will participate later. We dedicate these elements to you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would apportion grace to each person as there is need, that you'd bring healing through these elements to hearts, minds, bodies, spirits. I pray right now for Rebecca Hammer and I ask, Lord, that you would touch her, heal her, Bless she and her family. May these elements apportion grace to each person as there is need. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was broken for you, preserve you blameless unto everlasting life. Take and eat in remembrance that Christ died for you.
the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was shed for you, preserve you blameless unto everlasting life, take and drink in remembrance that Christ died for you, and be thankful. Now, God, we move into this week empowered by your grace and your love. We surrender the week to you. We pray that we would be ambassadors of compassion and reconciliation. And now we pray that you would hear our response to your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.